Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of the Publisher Lab. I'm Tyler Bishop. Alongside me as always, Shelby Kang. Shelby, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be back in the office for a little bit. Yeah, you've been on a pretty rigorous travel schedule and it's not going to get... I mean, you have a small break here, but then then you're going uh, pretty much the furthest distance that you've had to travel this entire time. Yeah, definitely. Very excited to be going to London in about a week and a half. The two of us will be going for Pubtelligence London. Um, it'll be my first time over in the UK, so I'm really excited. All right. Don't let anybody tell you that if you, if someone tells you you're about to have a proper version of something, my, my first reaction was always like, I'm about to have a really good version of whatever that is. In my experience, a proper version of whatever something is, is usually not a very good version of it. Well, I'll just have to go in with my mind open. You'll actually be traveling to Virginia next week, though. Yeah, that's correct. I'll be at the. Uh, I'm doing the lunch keynote at the Outdoor Blogger Summit, and so uh, a good friend of ours that runs a uh, web property called Bike Rumor and a podcast called The Build Cycle, uh, Tyler Benedict. Him and I will be um, chatting a little bit on stage. Uh, I'll be doing a presentation about some data, and uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff like that. So if you're if you plan on attending, uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Or if you plan on coming to London, uh, definitely come by and uh, introduce yourselves if you've never been introduced before to Shelby or myself. And uh, yeah, it'll be nice to have a little bit of a break after that. We're we're back home, if you will. For for all our podcast listeners, it feels like we're here every week with them. But um, for us, we've been in between podcasts. We've been all over the globe. Yeah, so it's been a little bit crazy, but I'm I'm happy that we can come back each week and do this podcast for everybody. Um, The first thing I wanted to start off with was Snap Originals. And this is something that I saw kind of just using the app itself a couple days ago. And I didn't really learn anything about it until I started doing a little bit of research for the podcast today. But they just um, launched Originals, which are daily episodic videos produced just for Snapchat. Um, It'll also feature show portals where users can access specific show scenes and special lenses and filters to engage with the shows and also share them with their friends. Um, Snapchat's going to debut six new original shows this month, and they've got six more in development. And to cover the cost of creating these shows, they'll um, sell six-second-long non-skippable video ads, and they plan to insert two or three into each show. And I've already experienced these non-skippable ads. I actually got a little bit annoyed that I can't skip because before I would just exit out of the ad and then kind of re-enter into the video, and they don't let me do that anymore, so I'm... A little bit disappointed they caught on so it's interesting so I, I think you know this kind of like rise of stories in general we see it in snap you know it, Instagram arguably copied snapchat and, and and took the stories that even Facebook does stories uh, although I'm not sure anybody uses that they, they're kind of universally like lauded is lame you isn't know? there like aren't there stories for facebook messenger even there's like stories for everything yeah they they had and the, the idea is that i think the facebook messenger stories are a lot like snapchat's original idea uh and then even amp has gotten in on the stories wagon so there are amp stories now too which uh i recently 
uh, had a chance to talk to Google about and wrote a blog about it a little bit. Um, so what I think is really interesting just about the stories idea in general is, you know, you think about uh, the state of video and, um, you know, you think uh, if everybody remembers way back when TiVo kind of came around and this idea of like being able to record, I mean, even if you go back to the VCR, the idea of being able to record television and basically skip all the ads and you don't actually have to have what they would call like scheduled viewing anymore like you know, uh, American Gladiator comes on at 7 p.m. For all of our UK listeners, they're like, what's American Gladiator? It was like a game show here. Um, it comes on at 7 p.m., so you have to be home and you have to watch it live. Well, not anymore. You can record it, you know, and our sophistication for being able to do that has gotten better and better. But now, you know, I think one of the things that um, that publishers and broadcasters have learned is that you miss a little bit of engagement with your audience when they don't have like a scheduled time, when they can just get your content wherever they can be on a bus or they can be at home or where they can be whatever. And so I think there's a certain amount of engagement that, that was lost in that. And you can see Snap doing a good job here of not only having it like these, you know, these, these kind of stories that you're able to um, view for, you know, like a, a momentary period of time, but then also like they have like the filters and like different ways to actually physically engage with the content. I think as a publisher or any kind of content creator, this is this is like something that we're they're trying to get back to a certain extent. So I, I kind of think that that's the reason why stories have gotten popular is I think even though we want content, like whenever we want it, I think it takes something away from it maybe. I think so too. It's nice too because I noticed that they actually have an option to go back and watch previous episodes as they call it, even though they're only like three to five minutes mm -hmm. long. But I noticed um, like some of them have like 12 seasons already. And I'm like, I didn't even know this stuff was going on for this long. So it's nice that you have the option if you do want to go back and rewatch stuff or to watch things that you've missed. Um, but it's nice too to try and kind of just check in once a day or a few times a week and see what's going on. I had my uh, my father was on the phone with me and he's a, he my dad likes to go to the theater still and watch movies. Um, but he recently was on an airplane. And I asked him how his flight was and he said, oh, it was good. I forget what movie he said that he watched, but he'd watched a movie. And I said, how was it? Because I hadn't seen it yet. And he said, it was an airplane eight, but a movie theater five. And I thought that's a, such a great description of because the the mode in which you receive uh, content really affects the way that it kind of like impacts you as well, right? So on a on an airplane or something like that, a movie may be more entertaining, but maybe not as impactful, right? But in a movie theater, whenever you you know you maybe you're there and you're just very focused on the content, you you know somebody's not coming by asking if you want water, guy next to you's not getting up and all this kind of stuff. I think it just it's a different experience in general, and I think by by finding ways to like deliver content to people in like a very specific way, you're taking back as a publisher or content creator a little bit of that control, which I think is good. Yeah, this is actually kind of funny that you mentioned airplanes and movies because it's the perfect segue into my next topic, which actually isn't really all that related to digital publishing, but I thought it was something really cool that Delta does. Um, but they're using Twitter to interact with their users. So Delta's, they're using their Twitter, the polling feature, to ask users which holiday-themed feature film should be shown in the next in-flight um, during this upcoming... And by the way, your flight is delayed. <laughs> by the way, your flight is delayed. So this is the third time that they've actually used Twitter poll feature to kind of get some insight onto what users want to view. And the first two... 
um, polls kind of gained a combined 300,000 votes. Wow. So that's pretty crazy. But um, I just thought it was a neat way to kind of engage with users. And we always tell publishers to just kind of start thinking about themselves as a brand. And here's Delta doing some cool stuff. Yeah, and I think this is a really, you know, I think as a publisher, it's not uh, very far-fetched to kind of see how you might be able to steal this idea for yourself, where you can think about, like, you know, maybe you're getting ready to produce a piece of content. Maybe even it's holiday-themed, or, you know, we talked last week quite a bit about, like, finding ways to connect with your audience around, like, themed-based stuff that may be a short-term run. Um, you know, run a poll, ask them, would you rather see me create a video about this or that, or... Um, if the if I was going to do a whole monthly you know series you know like comparing this to a certain movie, would you rather me use Home Alone or uh, the Santa or something like that? You know, coming up in the um, uh, the fall kind of winter months and all that kind of stuff and the holidays and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a good idea. Um, inter- Delta Twitter, interesting t- choice. Um, uh, polls, interesting choice for that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to what we were talking about before, which is really just ways to engage your audience in a unique way so that you, you build a relationship with them in some way. And I think a lot of times uh, I, I sort of think that publishers maybe take the idea of like, well, this is hard and they don't come to me because they're my audience. Um, but it all has to start someplace. Like it can start with a poll, you know, before it evolves into something where you're creating stories. But it has to start somewhere. I mean, if you're a publisher right now and you feel like you don't have a good connection to your audience in some way, or like you don't have like these like lo- super loyal, like dedicated users, like how do you get that? Think about that. I think that that's the problem you need to solve. I also think it's a fun way to kind of introduce people to your content too. Um, you could do like a quiz and even if it's just like I always say cupcake but which cupcake recipe should I try today and you literally just ask like random questions what's your favorite color and then just I mean at the end of the day they're taking a quiz and they're going to get one piece of content no matter what so you might as well just try and do these engaging things or you could do a quiz that's like what level of knowledge do you already know on this topic and you can do beginner intermediate and then advanced and have a piece of content for each level of knowledge so lots of different ways you could use this yeah i I recently saw the atlantic did something like this where i saw on twitter that they had posted an article and i I guess it again it's twitter poll so it's nothing overly unique but it could have been on any platform really um and they said we asked it was something about um um sexism in the workplace and it said we asked a thousand we asked over a thousand women what they thought about you know, sexism in the workplace or something. It, it had a better title than that, but that's essentially what it what it highlighted. And it was just a series of like Twitter polls and comments that people had posted in relation to polls and, and tweets that they had. And the entire article probably had, I don't know, maybe 500 or less words, but it was a long form article because you had all these tweets in here of basically user comments put into context and then along with these polls. And it's like, that. what a great take on user generated content, you know, and you basically twofold, you engage your audience and then you get like a brand new piece of content for it and you have to do very little other than kind of manage some social media and control a conversation. To me, that is like, that's brilliant. I yeah. think as a publisher, there's that's a win all the way around. Definitely. Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about was New York Magazine. Um, So they're combining their sections to produce produce a new website. So this is something that we've touched here and there. And it's actually something that you talked about last week is what are different 
topics or different interests that your users have that you're not writing about yet, um, where you can kind of reach out and get some new audience. So New York Magazine is merging its politics and business section with its tech-focused sections to launch a new news and opinion standalone site called The Intelligencer. Um, so this new vertical will have a new URL, of course, and it'll cover politics, business, tech, media, and innovation. Um, but the home page will feature a quick chat component where writers and editors converse about their days. Um, so it kind of gives a little bit of insight for readers on like their meetings and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, it'll also have a limited edition podcast with that. Interesting. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, again, it kind of comes full circle to a conversation we had last week a little bit around using data essentially to kind of find the sub-segments in your audience. So when I think about the idea of like a reporter and an editor, like having, being able to see like their chat um, about stories and stuff like that, especially if it relates to business, technology, and politics, um, I would imagine there's probably like a lot of people that are like find that very uninteresting or even their takes that they would be reading between a uh, reporter and their editor, like it's not, it's not of interest to them. But if that's your audience and you know that your audience appreciates kind of maybe your slant on those, on the news as it relates to those, those subjects and um, maybe relates to those reporters or something along those lines, that would be very entertaining, right? So like um, there's certain probably take different takes on politics or technology that you or I would have that maybe um, someone else might not. And um, so something very broadly focused probably is not going to like do very well. But if it's a publication that's basically we already really like and you're like, hey, I really agree with, you know, these reporters and their takes, um, it's going to be something that I think is probably really engaging. So it's, it's a unique idea. It's a fun idea. And it's driven out of some data around the sub-segment of their audience. So I, it comes back to something we've been talking about all day, which is like, Get the data, engage your audience, and find something that works. This is a this is a large scale idea, right? This is a big deal. They're launching like something totally new, um, but this is what you can do whenever you find like start small. Maybe it starts with a Twitter poll and it evolves into you starting like another mega media conglomerate. You know, who knows? Who knows? Don't limit yourself. Um, speaking of data, this is actually the last thing I have on deck. Um, Dazen, a sports platform. Have you ever heard of Dazen? I've heard, I've stated a days in before. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. So um, they're using data to add and retain subscribers. So they're a huge platform. They've got millions of um, subscribers, but they conducted a study where they looked into failed login attempts within a three-month period. So out of the 5 million failed attempts, 3 million successfully logged in shortly after, while 2 million people unsuccessfully logged in and then of those two million people only 10 percent of them went on to change their password so that leaves 1.8 million people who just gave up um, which led them days in to change their sign up process um, and then they also saw that a lot of people were canceling their subscription during summer because they obviously not a lot of sports go on during summer so they added a feature to pause their subscription through that season um, to make it easy for users to kind of just not cancel completely. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, all of that is, is super smart. And I mean, like it lends itself again to using data to make decisions. I mean, being able to look at their, um, you know, failed login attempts and stuff like that, obviously a really smart piece of data to look at if you're them. And then the pause 
um, you know, the pause idea is a really good idea to looking at data around when you get the most cancellations. Because I'm assuming then you can email all those people and say, hey, wouldn't you like to un, you know, unpause it now that football season is starting or whatever it is, American football for our folks across the pond. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, you know, the Washington Post, I, I read an article earlier this week, they're doing something fairly simil- similar, uh, not, I mean, I guess not similar in the way that they're kind of tackling subscription stuff, but subscription data, all that material, they're basically looking at, you know, what types of behaviors lead to subscriptions. That's obviously something they're interested in. They're a large publication. Um, and they wanted to understand, one of the big things was, is they want to understand the role that ads play. And so, we know this from Zoic and our machine learning and AI that you know ads sometimes they do, sometimes they don't impact user behavior. Specifically relates to subscriptions and being able to learn over time uh, what types of experiences, what types of visitors, what types of ads like go into playing that. Being able to find that balance is extremely valuable because you can still monetize and work towards a goal if you have all that data and. You know, it sounds like a problem they're trying to solve right now, something that we've solved uh, before. And um, I think that um, this is the f- this is another component of if you're a digital publisher, you know, think about the data that's most important to you. Um, and a lot of it really needs to come down to do you understand your most important visitors, the ones that engage the most? Who are they? Are they people that land on a specific page? Are they your returning visitors? Are they the people that come from search? You know, are they the people that come to you directly? Are they the, your newsletter subscribers? Like, what is what is that most valuable you, visitor to you? And I think it starts with understanding who spends the longest amount of engagement time on your site, and then who your highest earning uh, EPMV visitors are. So that's visitors that come and you make the most money off of them. You know, revenue per session. Um, these are all things you can find out uh, if you want to know for free. Uh, we have an analytics solution called Big Data Analytics uh, in, inside of Zoic, and uh, you can sign up and use that for free. So that's a really good way to start knowing some of those numbers if you don't know them already. Yeah, um, that's all I have on deck. I did want to touch on a new thing that we're doing um, inside the Publisher Lab. Yeah, it's, a, it's a gr- actually good a good thinking to actually bring that up here on the actual Publisher Lab. So if you are, I mean, this is the audience, right? So we're doing a bad job of engaging our audience. Uh, last week, we launched a new video series called Inside the Publisher Lab. And Inside the Publisher Lab is a video series that basically we take offline. I mean, I guess technically it's still online. We, we basically take one of our topics from the Publisher Lab and we do about a five to 10 minute video kind of diving deeper into it, uh, providing some kind of video related um, uh, content that goes along with it. And so you get to see Shelby and I kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of these subjects with some images and things like that to, to kind of support it. And uh, those are on our YouTube channel. If you go to Zoic uh, and subscribe, you can find uh, those on the YouTube channel. If you listen to this podcast, you can search inside the Publisher Lab in Google and uh, find all the different episodes. There's one up now. There'll be two up at by the time you probably hear this. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to doing this show, and uh, hopefully you guys will uh, join us and continue to uh, both listen and then also view uh, elements of some of the content that we produce. Yeah, we can't talk about video all the time and then not have any videos. So. Right, yeah, we're trying to take some of our own advice here. And, um, yeah, with you know, I think there's a void out there on the Internet now that Google Plus is dead, and we're going to fill that void. Did anyone ever use Google Plus? Uh, no one, no one to my to my knowledge. Well, actually, it, somebody did because that a data breach is essentially why it's dead now. So there had to be sp- there had to be some 
everyone had to be using something to have their data breached. So, Do you, what is what was the purpose of Google Plus? Because I honestly, I well, it evolved a lot over the years, and I'm sure we could probably. There's people that are listening to this podcast that that have watched the evolution of Google Plus. They could probably walk you through it with uh, kind of like a war story type um, uh, tale attached to it. But I think you know the biggest thing was is originally Google Plus was meant to be a social media platform plugged into. Google search and the idea was that everybody's Google profile would take the place of many social media profiles and over time it went it went all over the map in terms of what they thought it could and couldn't be and it just no one wanted that. Yeah, I don't think Google is quite cool enough to <laughs> to start a social media I th- platform. I think that summarizes Google Plus. Google Plus. No one wanted that. <laughs> no one asked. All right. Well, that's all I have. That's all I have as well. So we'll catch you um, on the next episode of the Publisher Lab. And we hope that we'll see you at one of our events coming up soon. And if you have any thoughts or ideas uh, that you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, you can tweet us at Zoic, and we'd be happy to bring it up on the podcast.